Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We explain the 2019 F1 regulations with the help of Pat Simmons and Gary Anderson. Formula One testing gets underway in just a few weeks, and there's even more eager anticipation than usual ahead of the car launches, thanks to the aerodynamic rule changes for 2019. I'm your host, Ed Straw. We'll be hearing from F1's Pat Simmons, whose research for the 2021 regulations has influenced the 19 rules, later on, and we'll also have Gary Anderson's verdict. But I'm also joined by our technical editor, Jake Boxall-Legg. Now, Jake, you've had your head buried in the tech regulations for some time now, so presumably you've got them all memorised. Uh... I wouldn't say I have. Uh, I keep forgetting a few little salient factors in all of them, but I've got a general grasp of what they're going to do, how they work, what teams are going to have to do, and what they have to change. So, yeah, I've been looking a lot of looking at a lot of wings over the last few weeks. So, yeah, hopefully I'll be proper suitably prepared for this podcast. Well, I guess the the place to start would be to to run through the regulations that the basic objective in the most simple terms is to make the cars better at following each other through mitigating the aerodynamic outwash and simplifying the car in four key areas front wing in particular brake ducts barge boards and the rear wing are the, the sort of four zones where we see changes so 
Come on then, Jack. Let's let's run through it. Start off with the with the front wing. What's changed? So I think the main geometry of the front wing is probably the most interesting part of the whole regulation setup. Uh, they are now two thousand millimeters wide. That's two meters uh, with an increase of two hundred millimeters. So they're now absolutely massive, and they're twenty five millimeters deeper. So the idea there is to bring a little bit more downforce to the wing in a way um because there were all of these little flicks and um vortex generators and little wing cascade wings on there and they're losing all of those they're losing the vortex tunnels as well so that introduces immediate front end downforce but it reduces the downforce of the rest of the car around that and that's something we'll get into and one of the other biggest changes to the front wing is of the end plates as well they're now of this prescribed geometry they can't be you know, make up of these tiny little elements that are turning air directly out around the front wheels. It's got to be a little bit more. Well, it's, it's reduced, quite frankly. And um, so basically, the the angles that you can have the bits and yeah. pieces at, and the number of pieces is yeah, all, absolutely. All so curbed. the end plates now have to be one piece, and um, all angles that make up that end plate they can't be greater than fifteen degrees to a line parallel to the center line of the car. So basically any extreme angles they're out uh, essentially to reduce that amount of outwash and that kind of ties in with what's going on at the back with the rear wings they're now 100 millimeters wider 70 millimeters taller and that's to interact with the front wing more closely uh, you have to change one and then change the other otherwise you know your uh, the effect of the wake that you're trying to develop to create better following on drag it's just not going to be able to do that. So these rear wings have now been changed in order to facilitate that. Uh, at the rear wing as well, there's simpler rear wing end plates and there's some LED lights on those rear wings as well, just improve visibility and, well, low visibility conditions. And we saw those trialled in testing at Barcelona last year, if memory serves, Mercedes appeared with them. Yeah, something like that. And I think we got our first actual look in the flesh of what that looks like on the brand new F3 car of all things. Um so yeah, again, that's just going to help improve visibility when light is pretty low or you're in rainy conditions or something like that. And the simpler rear wing end plates, that kind of ties in with um, the change in barge board geometry as well, which is not really for too much of an aerodynamic effect, but it's more for, of a commercial effect just to improve the visibility of sponsor logos on the car. Uh, as I All those millions of sponsor logos that cover F1 cars these days. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and again the change in barge boards so they're now 150 millimeters vertically shorter but they're sort of longer towards the front end of the car um sort of claw back a little bit of the effect but again showing off more sponsor logos without all of the little cuts in the barge board that are getting in the way in the last couple of seasons and the brake ducts have also been simplified as well um you know we've seen over the last couple of seasons uh they've come progressively more complex a lot more sort of little winglets and stuff on them and they've got to fit in a, a lot smaller radius so they can't extend out the front of the tire as they used to um yeah it's a lot more simple so hopefully it's going to have some kind of tangible effect of course you can't have the blown axles either can you that's uh, absolutely that's also gone so it's very difficult in audio form to communicate what these will will look like but the basic 
think even though it's simplified, I don't think people are going to look at them and be wowed by how dramatically different they are. I think you'll, people will notice it, but it's not going to be like we saw in 17 with the aero changes then or 2009 when there was a, a real fundamental change in the proportions of the car, is it? No, definitely not. I remember, I remember in 2009, um, the cars had changed quite a lot and people were very taken aback by it because they looked so different. And people so like, big snowplow front wings. and the- Yeah, and the rear wings were very skinny as yeah, well. Yeah. And people were like, what is that? Uh, and then 2017, people were like okay, like, okay, that looks a lot better. But then obviously that sort of had a little bit of an effect on the, uh, the on-track product. So, um, you know, our aesthetics aren't everything, but, you know, nobody's going to, it's not going to be a massive difference this year, let's say. Well, it's a, a small step, but hopefully a positive step, even though it's it's not going to solve the problem. All right, well, we're about to hear from Pat Simmons, who will explain this in more detail and how these rules were conceived. Broadly speaking, the rules have been put together by Nicholas Tombasis, the head of single-seater affairs at the FIA, based on the findings of this research, haven't they? Yeah, so Formula One produced a load of concept designs, that sort of thing. They've got their own in-house research team, so they're able to do because they're not limited like F1 teams are to uh, CFD power and that kind of thing. It means they can just produce hundreds of simulations on how cars are going to follow each other and that kind of thing. And it's how they've happened upon this rule set. 2021, we expect, will be the big one. But the FIA had a look at the F1's research and thought, okay, there are some points that, you know, they're not particularly time sensitive. We can carry them forward as a bit of a benchmark and then see what of 2021 can then continue so that that's sort of how it's uh come about really yeah it was a very uh rapid process getting those rules originally they had to get them done by the end of april so they could get them through by majority because they'd have never got them through by unanimity of the, of the teams there were several teams red bull for example who were who were dead against those those changes being made so it's uh, yeah it's, it's an interesting step uh, so let's hear from uh, from pat simmons interview i actually start off by slightly mischaracterizing how actively involved f1 has been specifically in these rules even though it's Simmons's work that has uh, has impacted them, has influenced them, has given the the directions. They've kind of picked some elements of it. So let's let's hear from Pat Simmons. Well, Pat, you've been very heavily involved in the the research and the creation of the the 2019 aerodynamic rules. This is quite an unusual thing in Formula One, and it, it seems very very much researched and analysis based more than perhaps some of the things we've seen in the past do you think that's correct and, and how has the whole thing worked uh no it's not not entirely correct actually uh what i have been heavily involved in is the research into the 2021 uh, so you're more focused on that rules um and very deliberately uh when we started this this project sort of nearly two years ago now 18 months two years ago we knew that it was a big project and we knew we needed time. Uh, and so 2021 was a very logical point to, to aim for. It was you know, moving into end of the current Concord Agreement or, or the bilateral agreements, etc. And uh, certainly didn't want to, to rush into things. Um, you may know I was involved in the overtaking working group that ultimately formulated the, the Article 3, the bodywork regulations for... 2009 and I learned a lot from that uh, not necessarily about aerodynamics of overtaking because it wasn't a very mature project but I, I, I did learn that if you aren't careful you produce a set of rules where you think one thing and the other competitors think another and uh, 
uh, I think there were so many things that came along in 2009 and subsequently that we just hadn't envisaged at the time. So I, I was in no rush to, to bring anything out early. However, after Australia, uh, which you know, hadn't been a, a great race this year, people remember, um, the FIA decided that they would like to look at the work we were doing. We were working closely with them uh, and still are. Um, and see whether there was anything that could be brought forward uh, and introduced for, for 2019. Now, bearing in mind that regulations can be changed for the following year with, with the majority agreement before April the 30th, and bearing in mind that Australia is mid-March, it meant there was about six weeks from uh, the idea of should we do something for 2019 to get getting something written down and, and agreed with the teams, which is quite a challenge. So what happened was the FIA looked at our research and they took a few things from it. Uh, and they did a little bit of interpolation. So we had never run anything that was exactly like the 2019 car, but we'd, we'd established certain principles by then. Uh, and so based on those principles, um, Nicholas Tombezis at the FIA was charged with writing some regulations for 2019. Um, I had mixed feelings about it at the time because I, I absolutely, and even today to some extent, I, I absolutely didn't want us to be in this position where we had uh, rushed something through. Uh, but at the same time, it was quite a nice little test of, of where we were. Um, so I guess everyone's going to say, well, are they going to work? Uh, and the answer is we'll find out. But I think that I, I, th I think that they will be positive. Now, bear in mind that with the current cars, the, the rate of development is very high. We, we introduced these aerodynamic regulations in 2017, and uh, they were announced actually very early 2016. So the 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 design period for the 2017 cars was, was remarkably short. Um, if you look back at 2009 or 2014, which was the last sort of reasonably big aerodynamic change, those regulations were around a lot longer than they had been for 2017. So the, when the 2017 cars came out, they were quite immature in terms of aerodynamic development. 2018 cars, the cars we're looking at at the moment, moved on a, a long way. Uh, and the aerodynamic development rate is, is very high right now. So by neutering that a little bit in 2019, if nothing else, we'll keep the status quo. And the fact is that with the way the performance is being put on the cars right now, and I'm talking about the, the single car, the lead car performance, uh, it's being done in a way that is detrimental to the, the following car fact. So if we've maintained the status quo and at the same time even slightly improved the wake characteristics, then, yeah, we've done the right thing. Now, the trouble is that the, the overtaking conundrum is not just about aerodynamics, and nor is it about tickling aerodynamics. It, when we say it's about aerodynamics, it's about some fundamental changes, some far more far-reaching changes, much more than we've done for 2019. And there are many other factors that come into it. You know, for example, people often underestimate the, the effect on the tyres. You know, the minute the car 
gets behind and starts losing a bit of grip, that that lack of, loss of performance is, is compounded, excuse the pun, by the tyre performance dropping off. Tyres are sliding more, they overheat, they lose performance, and and so it's a it, you know it's a it, it's a self-generating sort of spiral of destruction really. And if we've perhaps helped that a little bit, then great. But but I don't honestly think we'll see the really fundamental changes till till twenty one. It's interesting you mentioned the uh, overtaking working group. Um, things as I understand it which is a very dangerous thing to say because probably I don't but my understanding is that one of the things that the 09 regulations do with did with the wide wings and the kind of move towards outwash aerodynamics that had some unintended consequences and some of the interactions of the the airflow that's outwashed with the rear wing and then vortices off the rear wing towards the front wing I've heard like mushroom effect used as a phrase I don't know if that's one, one that you recognize that makes any sense but that's one of the big things isn't it with the that you're kind of trying to correct the unintended consequences of the uh, uh, of the past. Yeah, let's unpick that. <laughs> okay, well, so, I was hoping you were going to do that. <laughs> um, I, I think you know if we go back to the the overtaking working group work, uh, which was done 2006 and seven, I think regulations written then for 2009. Uh, An outwash, of course, is a phrase that's in common usage now. It wasn't then, uh, and. I don't think we had, well, well, I don't think, I know we hadn't appreciated the, the, the importance of outwash. What we had done is we had realised that um, what you did need to do is try and lift the wake of the car up, and this is the mushroom effect. Now, the reason it's called the mushroom effect is that if you take a slice from your, your CFD simulations, which are beautiful coloured things showing the, the total pressure behind the car, and you colour it depending on the, the intensity of the total pressure, uh, you, you get a shape that looks a bit like a mushroom. So we call it a mushroom effect. Outwash means the air that's hitting the, the car uh, gets pushed outwards, sideways. And that leaves a, a large area of, of low energy air that the, the, the following car has to come into which uh, doesn't produce downforce because it's low energy air doesn't produce as much downforce so that those are the sort of mechanisms now what what i think we'd we'd realized in that early work was that um we understood the the mushroom effect we understood the tip vortices that came off the rear wing we knew that we had to lift those up and narrow them and we understood that what that left was the, the stalk of the mushroom, if you like, which was low energy air in the middle. We didn't want that to be a downforce generating area. So we, we came up with the neutral central section of the wing and we widened the wing. So the front, the front wing I'm talking about now. So the, the, the front downforce was generated at the tips, which were likely to be in, in cleaner air. And, you know, those principles are, are we weren't wrong with them uh, and uh, our current work still suggests that particularly with the mushroom it's absolutely what we should be doing what we hadn't appreciated was that the, the transition between this neutral section that we put in the middle uh, into the sort of more complex wing sections uh, was going to be so fundamental in the performance of the cars now some of the, the nerds amongst our listeners may have heard of the, the Y250 vortex. It's, it's everyone's favourite vortex. <laughs> it is, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's top of my list of my top 10 vortices of the world. 
Um, well, firstly, why is it called the Y250? Well, the, this, uh, this central section of, of the neutral part of the front wing, which is very obvious when you look at the cars, it's the, the, the clean bit underneath the nose, it's 500 millimetres wide. Or from the centre line of the car, it's 250 millimetres, the edge of it from the, from the centre line. And uh, in our coordinate system, that means that on the y-axis, it's 250 millimetres out. So we call that the y-250. And as it transitions into uh, a proper downforce generating section, there's a huge vortex that comes off there. And that vortex becomes incredibly important at pushing the front wheel wake out sideways. And you combine that with front wing end plates that produce a lot of outwash and that is where you get your performance because all this horrible low energy air that's behind the front wheels, instead of it now affecting your lovely racing car, you're pushing it out and trying to affect someone else's racing car uh, and giving yourself nice clean air to, to drive through. So I think the interesting thing is that, to answer your question, is that I don't think we appreciated outwash in those days. And And you know, it's funny that... In 2009, um, of course, the Braun was by far the, the best car at the start of the season, by a long, long way. And the double diffuser was on that car, it was on the Toyota, and it was on the Williams, all of which were performing reasonably well. Um, Toyota, particularly, made a, a big step. And I think everyone was looking at the double diffuser, which, of course, was a, a large part of it. But... I think they were ignoring the front wings, and particularly on the Toyota, uh, Frank Durney, who was uh, looking after technical side of Toyota at that time, I think he had appreciated that the, the front wing was perhaps as important, and the outwash that they were generating on their front wing was giving them performance that the rest of us probably hadn't seen. And interestingly, the, there were three people involved in the, the overtaking working group. There was myself, Paddy Lowe, uh, who at the time was at McLaren, uh, and Rory Byrne, who was at Ferrari. I, I was at Renault at the time. And when you look at probably the three worst cars of 2009, it was the cars that we produced, because we'd written down what we wanted the cars to look like. And, and in our minds, that's what we had then led our design teams to produce. Whereas the others who hadn't been so closely involved, they just read the regulations and thought, as they should do, how do we exploit these? So, uh, How do you define a hole as not a hole, etc.? All that sort of thing. Key to the double diffuser. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but but it, I think the, um, the the kind of under underpinning thing you're saying there is don't, you know, the, the 19 is very much a, an interim small step and it, it's 21 is the, is, the, is the big, big focus. And, you know, the point that we guess we started with valid about the level of research. Because if memory serves, the OWG was... A few people getting together. I think each team bunged in fifty thousand or something like that. A little bit of wind tunnel time. This is on a on a different scale, isn't it? What what you're able to do now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're quite right. The teams did put in some money. I can't remember how much it was. Um, I think it may even be a bit less than that. Uh, but it certainly didn't take us far. CFD was. I won't say it's in its infancy, but it 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 certainly wasn't at the level that we we can run. Now, C in its CFD, shall we say? Yeah, C <laughs> CFD, sorry, shouldn't use acronyms like that. Computational fluid dynamics, the, the study of the airflow on a, on a computer without using a wind tunnel. 
Um, the wind tunnel work we did, we decided we had to have two cars in the wind tunnel. There weren't any big wind tunnels available to us, so we had to go to quarter scale models, which wasn't a great thing to do. Um, detail in the quarter scale models very difficult, and, and actually even the separation that we could get still wasn't great. The work we're doing now is orders of magnitude more sophisticated. Uh, all the early work is, is CFD based, but we're using very different CFD techniques. Um, within the teams, uh, and I, I, I don't want to get technical because this isn't a technical podcast, but um, within the teams, they have limitations in the rules as to how much aerodynamic research they can do. And one of the consequences of this is that they do... Um, they do the computational fluid dynamics, but then they effectively sort of time average the results. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, for example, when you're driving along in your car on a winter's morning, like we have rapidly approaching us now, uh, and look at the exhaust of the car in front of you. There's probably some steam coming out of it. And, uh, and you'll see that, that that steam doesn't just come out in a nice steady pattern. It's blowing all over the place as the, the sort of low pressure behind the car uh, is continually changing. Well, if you time average that, you know, if you took a long exposure picture of it, you, you'd, you'd see a stream that was generally in one direction. But if, you, if you're looking at a snapshot, it could be all over the place. So racing cars are, are not, the flow coming off a racing car is very turbulent. It's, it's popping around all over the place a bit like that exhaust stream that you might be seeing in the car in front of you. The teams have to time average it for computational reasons. We don't have to. We don't have restrictions on us. So we're doing a lot more study of the, the unsteady flow around the car. And that's something that's leading us to different results than we would have done in the past. Um, we are doing some wind tunnel work. Uh, we're doing it in a very big wind tunnel. We are not actually running two cars in the wind tunnel so we can keep the scale up at 50%. But what we are doing is rather than just measuring the forces on the car, we're studying the wake behind the car much more importantly. And our metrics for is our design moving forward is not the downforce that we're producing on the car, which is all the teams are, are interested in, the, the downforce and the shape of the aerodynamic maps. What we're interested in is the goodness of the wake, the, the total pressure we're seeing in the wake and the level of turbulence that we're seeing in the wake. Those are the metrics we're really looking at. And, and it does sound like the, you know, the wealth of data you've got there, you're able to perhaps work a little bit more with the consequences that you can get from it. Are, are you able to experiment with, well, this is the kind of car we create? Because obviously, again, I keep comparing it to the OWG stuff. You didn't have... You, as I understand it, there was no experimentation with any other cars. It's just, this is what we learn from these cars, and this is what we will do to take away that, that, what we think is the problem. That's right. I mean, firstly, I, I have to say I've got a great team working for me, or with me, on, on this. Um, some very experienced Formula One aerodynamicists uh, working at a very high level. So they're, they're well aware, not just of uh, what we need to do, but perhaps unlike me back in and Rory and Paddy back in 2006 they're well aware of what the teams will do when they get hold of it 
and and so we we're continually trying to break it not not just develop it but once we develop something good we have a look at how we can break it uh, and then in addition yes we, we're getting a lot of cooperation from the teams we're getting a lot of data from the teams um, teams are even even giving us on-car measured data from when they're following other cars and things like that so uh, our level of understanding is as I say orders of magnitude deeper than it than it was when we did this job uh, so many years ago well it sounds like it's a fascinating project and uh, hopefully will be to the benefit of everybody watching Formula One in the in the long term I, I truly believe it will and uh, yeah we're certainly working hard at it Interesting stuff there from Pat Simmons. So, Jake, what's very clear from this is that these Rules for 19 really are an FIA initiative. F1 itself is much more focused on the 2021 regulation changes. How do you think we should view what we're going to what we're going to see from these? Because it's easy to get excited about the changes. What what actually is what we're seeing in 2019? Well, it's going to be a baby step, isn't it? It's a step in the right direction. Um, we spoke with Paddy Lur about this in Abu Dhabi and he said, you know, it's quite a sort of technical directory way. He said it would be directionally correct uh, and that the last swathe of rules were directionally incorrect, uh, the ones for 2017. But what he means by that is that Formula One took a bit of a step back with improving the on-track product, um, with improving, you know, the ability for cars to follow each other in, in a way. Well, they became completely obsessed for 17. Exactly. About this target of making the cars four and a half to five seconds a lap faster compared to two years previously. They hit that target perfectly. The average quickest lap was it was something like 4.48. They hit their target perfectly, <laughs> but the target was completely wrong. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Yeah, it's just it's been a lot more difficult now for overtaking has been at a premium which for some purists maybe that's a good thing they think you know quality over quantity but again it's just uh, improved the reliance on uh, DRS as well for overtakes and that makes it a bit difficult well actually the DRS we should also mention because the DRS aperture is now bigger isn't it so that will increase the DRS effect 25 to 30 percent Uh, it will and again whether we think that's the right direction from Formula One or not um, again it's proved that it works it creates these overtakes, but there is an artificiality that people don't like. Um, if there was a way to guarantee uh, more overtaking on track without having to do something like that, then sure, I think F1 will go to it. But uh, unfortunately, I don't know if that entirely exists at this point in time. Well, you would hope that the need for the DRS will be tackled, or the need not to have the DRS, I should say, will be tackled in 2021 regulations, because it's always been a, a band-aid. I mean, there's two ways you can look at it. On the one hand, it is uh, it, it is not a great thing. So I don't really like the word artificial because I think any sporting construct is artificial. So you have to be a little bit careful with that. But it, it was a band-aid to correct a problem that you lose a chunk of your downforce when following someone. And how successful it is entirely depends on the, the length of the zone, the configuration of the tracks, etc. We've, so we've seen quite a few races where we've had drive-by passes. A few times we have had it creating really good contested braking zones, which has worked really well. But it's uh, So from that perspective, I think it's a reasonable solution in the short term but we should also say it's been around now for quite quite some time you'd have hoped that it's 2011 it was first introduced uh, so you'd, you'd hope that f1 would have uh, found a found a way with its regs to render it uh, unnecessary but i think the, the thing we should also say is just because it, the drag reduction is increased by the reg change doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be even easier because obviously the tunable element of the drs is the length of the drs zones and there are some tracks where the drs zones 
by the nature of the track are a little bit shorter than you might want. Melbourne, for example, classic example of it. So the positive interpretation is that this will make the DRS more tunable and therefore you can be a bit more precise with it and it can work better. The, the negative view is it's more DRS-y, for want of a better word, <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, uh, and, it, and it's not uh, not great. But I think overall, if you look at the FIA driving this, I think it is positive they, they've at least done something because at the very worst, it's going to stop the problem getting worse in the next two years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what they've stumbled across, and as Pat Simmons alluded to, they didn't realise when they were coming up with the 2009 regulations that outwash was going to be this massive thing. And in- so of course, they widened the front wing to the full yeah. width, and then that crazy outwash, as Pat Simmons talked about, that is all these interact because it's never as simple as just that it's, a, it's a, just the the complexity. It's not a uniform airflow. It's all the way the vortices interact and everything. Yeah, exactly. But the, the thing is, because as Simmons suggests um, he was involved with the overtaking working group at the time and they came up with the regulations he was responsible for Renault uh, Paddy Lowe was very much responsible for McLaren and they both turned up in 2009 testing with in-wash front wings and it's not something that they ever considered everyone turns up with these outwash generating front wings create these massive uh, clouds of turbulent air that is incredibly difficult to predict and people weren't really sure what to do with it. And it's it's create, it seems to have created some kind of effect, at least, that makes overtaking more difficult or makes following more difficult. Um, and trying to... This is part of the rationale behind the rules now, trying to simplify that front wing. Because turbulence is so hard to predict, you, you've got hundreds of different uh, mathematical calculations in CFD, Hundred, well, not hundreds, but quite a few different turbulence models, if you like, that govern, you know, certain things. How you expect the simulation of turbulence to be, without getting too boring or technical about it, people are still aren't really sure which one to use for the the right application, and they're still not one hundred percent correct. So, yeah, when it comes to the real world, uh, it, it's very hard to predict. So, trying to sort of take it out of that those hands a little bit and simplify things a little bit, it, it can only be a good thing, really, in the long run. But as I said at the very start, you know, it's a baby step. It's something that will have will have some yield down, uh, down the line. But um, right now, again, it's just gonna it's gonna help it a little bit. But right now, it's yeah, it's a baby step, really. I think it's an important thing you talk about there with the complexity of the front wheel weight because it's it's just not simple. You think about all the factors that. The influence it steering angle the whether the, the loading of the car whether the, how much dive there is the rate all of these things that are constantly changing the conditions the temperature all of these things have a big impact on it and i think people want easy solutions for these these sorts of things but fundamentally it's very complicated and that's always the case with with open wheelers it's one of the reasons going back when we had uh, when we had virgin doing the the all cfd uh car in 2010 which was nick worth and obviously he'd had success with the acura projects with worth research of course a closed wheel sports car much 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 simpler to do than an open wheel car which is just so so complicated and that's one of the one of the reasons why you do want the outwash effect so much or if not inwash because just in really simple terms you just want to eliminate the drag you'll get off the, the wheels let alone the the other problems caused by it so the, the complexity the scale of that complexity is, is something I think it's really easy for a, a non-specialist to to overlook. Yeah, certainly. And there's, well, there's other factors as well. You know, 
the rotation of the tire does the tire deform does the tire create blisters that are hanging off of it and somehow influencing airflow that way and there's also in some ways uh, air particles reacting with the friction of the tire as well and we've got different compounds so i mean it's, it's probably a tiny factor and i'm probably overblowing it a little bit but there are all of these factors and it's so hard to predict um but obviously f1 they've had all of these tools at their disposal so hopefully what they will have found is certainly a step in the right direction and we're not going to be able to see the effect of that until maybe in testing probably not even melbourne but somewhere like bahrain uh we're not going to see the full effect of that so i think the jury's still got to be out on it a little bit but yeah we'll have to see well, let's hear from Jordan Stewart and Jaguar F1 Technical Director Gary Anderson for his verdict on the regulations. Well, Gary, significant changes for 2019. How big an impact do you think this is actually going to have on the on the problems it's trying to solve? Well, the problem it's trying to solve is is the fact of uh, whenever one car is following another, basically they lose a bunch of downforce. Um, I would estimate around 20% of the downforce is lost. It loses the balance anyway because the front wing gets influenced first, um, so the car understeers more. Um, because of that, then the car slides a lot more and the tires overheat. So, you know, if you spend two or three, four corners behind another car, then you start losing tire grip as well. Now, whenever you look at that twenty percent that you lose, that's in excess of what the cars from the front of the grid to the back of the grid, the difference in downforce produced by those cars. So you've suddenly got a car that's um, capable of winning a race, trying to pass the leader, let's say, and Sebastian Vettel, that's with Lewis Hamilton leading the race, Sebastian Vettel catches Lewis Hamilton, sits there, and the minute he's there, he's then driving a Williams. Um, so we asked the question, why would it? Why would he get past that Mercedes in a, in a Williams? Because it wouldn't happen if you just swapped those two cars. Um, and also during the fact of, the fact that after three or four corners he loses more tire grip so that that deficit becomes even more um so the the change in aerodynamic regulations is basically to try and not disturb the airflow so much by the leading car um so that this, the car following has more downforce instead of losing 20 percent might lose 19 and i think that's probably achievable but it's still not good enough by any means so just the characteristics of an open-wheel car or a, a cross-section basically going through airflow will disturb it. You know, you can see it in the motorway with a truck. You can see it in the motorway with another car in front of you. You can pull up to the side of a truck and you know what happens. It's You know, you feel it in your car driving along the motorway. So any projectile going through airflow will always influence that airflow to some extent. But um, what we have now with these front-wing end plates, um, what they call the outwash, it actually makes the car wider than the car really is. Um, so obviously you're turning the airflow out around the outside of the front tires. The bars boards themselves are doing the same thing, turning the airflow outwards around the outside of the rear tires to help the underflow work. So the the aerodynamic influence on the on the on the air that you're going through is why is bigger than the car is. So you're trying to make the car narrower um, artificially by stopping this this outwash. However, you've still got the same car there with the same big tyres and the, the rear wing is, is creating a wake behind it, turning the airflow up in the air. So there's a low-pressure wake following the car behind these rear tyres and behind the, the rear wing, which in turn means that the, the air pressure around that following car is, um, is at a lower pressure than the, 
and the leading car is saying, so that's part of the downforce losses, and you, you really won't change that. Um, so it's a it's a token gesture towards a problem. Um, I don't I don't foresee it going away. The the fact the following car for me now the aerodynamic surfaces on it or the the good cars at least the aerodynamic surfaces on them are working to ninety nine point nine nine percent of their potential, and the minute you get a little bit of airflow change airflow turbulence, those surfaces fall down. So to me, the leading cars or the best cars actually have a bigger problem than the worst cars, just from the fact that they don't have such robust aerodynamic surfaces. So the changes on the on the regulations to stop this outwash will have a very very small change on the the wake behind the the leading car as such, but the changes on the front wing, taking away some of the sophistication on it, for the following car will actually be better. So there will be more robust surfaces, and it will be relying less on vortex generation and uh, um, manipulation of airflow around the tires. So I think the the following car will be a little bit better than it is currently. The wake from the leading car will still be just as bad. Um, so there'll be it'll be a you know it'll be a, a change in the right direction, but it'll be tiny. Will you see it visibly? Pretty tough, I think. And clearly, the the research that's gone into this F one has done it done its own research into this. The team led by Pat Simmons has set this direction. The FIA under Nicholas Tombasis has looked into it and, and come up with these. The kind of the the first version of these rules, which has subsequently been been tidied up, so they think it's the right direction. And the teams, eight of the ten teams, responded to the request to look into it, and they all agreed that actually the basic the basic premise, the trying to mitigate the outwash and the slight simplification, they all think it's kind of the right direction. So it's positive that at least it's it's the right sort of way, isn't it? And this, this is, I guess, a at the very small preview of what we can expect in, for the 2021 rules, which are going to be pretty substantial in terms of, of what they mean. So positive in that regard, that rather than just waiting for another few years, they've brought forward a few easy-to-bring-forward things for, for 19 to at least mitigate the problem, even if it's slight. I think that's correct. I mean, what we've got to remember is that there's going to be you know, a thousand engineers and all these teams trying to exploit those regulations to the maximum. Uh, the things that I don't quite understand why, we've got a the, the front wing's getting made wider with less outwash uh, componentry on the front wing itself, less of these turning vanes on top of it, turning the airflow around the front tyre. But because the front wing is getting wider, it will still be putting airflow ra- around the outside of the front tyre, even without having to have the bits making it happen. Or it'll happen automatically. Um, so the, the outwash change will be a little bit better, it won't be so aggressive. But whenever you imagine the front wheels of these cars, I mean, through every corner, through the steering lock that you apply, um, it, it changes the car's characteristics dramatically. And that's what McLaren are saying, you know, during 2018, that their, their car, they, um, they didn't manage the flow around the front tyres well enough. Um, but that that's going to change again, you know, because that, that will be different as far as the cars are concerned. But will it be different? The percentage change for me is 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 going to be tiny, um, especially whenever everybody exploits it to the maximum and gets these finds the areas where they can apply little subtle parts to to do something. So in the initial research, I think if you look back at the two thousand nine um, overtaken working group research, which was a pretty basic thing, I, I have to say at the time, it was it was it was terrible. You know, it was it was non-existent. Um, and the findings were done from a car that was nowhere near the complexity of the 
of the racing cars that were racing at that point in time. Um, and I just hope this gets its gets the depth put into it that's correct, especially for two twenty uh, for twenty twenty one, not necessarily for twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen is just an interim step that's going to cost the teams a huge amount of money. That, that's the problem with it, isn't it? It's it's a, a small step, but the, the there's probably to each team you know twenty twenty five million pound bill in um, in that little change of rear wing height, uh, front wing width height, uh, barge board area change. You know, it's a, it's a massive, massive bill for the teams. But it's a, it's a stepping stone, I suppose, to try to get somewhere for 2021. Um, the big problem is if, if it doesn't improve the racing, um, what's next? Because then everybody will be going on, well, you know, it's going to stay the same because 2021, we don't know what to do. So it has to do something. It will do something. But how you how you quantify that? Because this year we've had some fantastic races, um, and we've had some bad races. But you know you can't sort of plan it. You can't go to a racetrack and say, oh, "Well, you know, this will be a this will be a terrible race, or this will be a very good race." So it's just the luck of the draw and how it sort of unfolds. And the, the biggest thing it influences is how the tires um, change and react and degrade and all that sort of stuff. How about the potential for these rules to disrupt the competitive order? Because it is a fairly big change in terms of the airflow structure, or this has an impact on it. So, is there an opportunity there for one team to steal a march on another? Will there be a range of how effectively they've got on top of these new regs across the ten teams? If you had a choice, um, the last thing you'd want is for a team to get a step of the others, you know, because we want close competitive racing. Now, if that was a you know a Sauber or a, a Williams or a Toro Rosso that stepped up suddenly got some super trick and was sitting in Poland in Melbourne, you think, oh, that's pretty exciting. But how long would that last? So the thing, everything converges into the same end of the day or the same direction. You know, we look at the cars nowadays and we say the Mercedes and the Ferrari. They're two reasonably different cars in how they run them, you know, their aerodynamic approach. They're reasonably different. But the end result is still within, you know, 0.1% of each other. Um, so you, you always, it'll always converge in some direction. Um, Everybody will always exploit their their own package as far as possible. So even if there is somebody that gets a, a lead down, you know, it'll last for a very very limited amount of time until the others catch up again. But I don't think for, t- for twenty nineteen they're big enough, big enough changes to really sort of throw anybody out of their real true performance. And the big teams, you know, to be honest, nowadays with the the manpower, the money, the research, the big teams are the big teams are the teams that can do most. Well, some some strong words as ever from Gary there. It's clear he doesn't think the rules will have much impact. So, what, what's the final verdict? I know you said a minute ago that the jury is is still out, but I think what's important is to set the correct expectations, should we say, about what what we will see, and then it will take a few races. Melbourne will be not a not a great race for wheel to wheel reasons, most likely. It could be an eventful race for people making mistakes. We've had that in the past, but. I don't, I don't think we're going to see, if we do see loads of overtaking there, then wow, that would be a great system <laughs> to the rules. So how would you lay out your expectations? I think what we're going to see is we're going to see an effect, whether it will be an effect that's altogether visible or a consistent effect across the full gamut of circuits. We don't really know at this stage. Yeah, as you say, Melbourne the good race has been there have been a result of circumstance and we could get into a whole existential debate into what makes a good race uh whether it's close wheel-to-wheel racing or whether it's because various cars have hit some kind of catastrophe and the result's a little bit weird but it's variables that make good racing exactly but yeah i think 
if if the F F one the FIA are right with their simulations, then there should be closer racing. What I worry about is those simulations are based on two cars that are very much the same, and you know these engineers in each of the teams are pushing technology to the limits. They're trying to recover as much downforce as they've lost. They're going to be trying to direct airflow in such a way that now that they know that outwash is a salient factor in making cars difficult to overtake, they're going to try and recover that because you know they don't want cars following close to each other. So I think, yeah, I think 2019 and 2020, I think expect, expectations have to be quite limited. 2021 is the big one. That's when we expect everything to change. I appreciate I'm sitting on the fence a little bit here, Ed, but... Um, on the country, you're sitting on a sofa. <laughs> on the edge of the sofa. Yeah. Um, on the edge of the sofa, excitement to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens, to be honest with you. Um, well, we should we yes. should also talk about not just the impact in terms of the rules delivering what they're intended to, but also the disruptive yeah. force of them. That's almost the most interesting thing. We saw in 2009, obviously, this vast sea change in the competitive order and everyone always talks about the double diffuser but you talked about there the front wing the outwash there are a multitude of things in that season the double diffuser being perhaps the most significant of them because that was based on a very uh interesting interpretation of uh of uh of, of the wording of the regulations shall we say i don't think we're gonna have any double diffusers or anything this year but i'm thinking in terms of teams who will have had to not quite throw away what they've got but their, their starting point will be kind of reducing their existing front wing design and making it kind of into a basic new one they've lost downforce but does this have the potential to mean suddenly you're going a second a lap slower relative to the opposition than you were before can, can it disrupt the competitive order it can if the teams haven't recovered all of their downforce we know that um you spoke to andy green in Dhabi Dhabi. he said that Force India or Racing Point as it is now were in a situation where they'd lost a lot of downforce with the application of these new rules and they were having to claw it back and it seems that everyone's been in the same boat here there has been a lot of a lot on the table to recover and how the teams perform is relative to how they recover that if they're able to put their car through a program whether to come up able to come up with ways of recuperating that downforce that's going to be crucial to their success. If there's a top team that has got it wrong with the design and hasn't been able to do that, then they're going to be behind the eight ball. They're going to have a dreadful pre-season testing and we're going to be talking about a very strange order. But such is the state of Formula 1 where the biggest teams have the biggest resources. If things go wrong, they can just put their money and effort into something else. And because they've got so many personnel, so much staff, I think... There might be a change further down the order where the teams are sort of quite compacted up, but at the front, I don't really see much of a change in the order. We're not going to have a Braun-like situation or anything like that. It's going to be Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, and then maybe Renault and who, or whoever makes the best of the rules, really. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. One of the big reasons for that is just simply that the rule changes aren't that big and the changes that are being made are fairly prescriptive. So the, the basics of your front wing are pretty well set immediately so there's not vast amounts you can uh, do so everyone's going to be shuffling broadly in the right dire- in the, the right direction or the same direction from the off so yeah I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if anyone has a disaster but you never know one of the things that Gary Anderson always talks about is that nobody understands 100% of what makes their car good and you can have a really successful car that might have some inherent flaw in it but that is just 
not relevant. It's covered up by some other aspects, by other aspects of the car, not necessarily in pace, but it's just a weakness that doesn't matter. And then these little adjustments, sometimes they can expose something that you just had no idea was a weakness. So that's that's always the uh, the interesting thing. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be holding my breath for anything uh, spectacular. No, definitely not. Um, it's yeah. Again, I'm looking forward to seeing what these new rules do. I'm looking forward to seeing them as a bigger picture as a step towards 2021 where again things are expected to be all changed formula one as we know it might be very very different if- well the, the scope of the 2021 changes could be huge there there's a real desire for it to be a proper step change not just a shuffle yeah absolutely um so it would be interesting to see the workings towards that and from my perspective in my uh remit of my job obviously i'm hoping that you know, there's plenty of changes throughout the season, plenty to talk about uh, and plenty to speculate about with regards to those 2021 rules as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm quietly optimistic, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in 2019, who's able to make the best of it and what kind of crazy ideas these teams come up with to try and recuperate that downforce. Whatever happens, it's going to be fascinating. Obviously, Autosport will be there to bring you all the coverage of testing. Uh, thanks very much, Jake Boxall Leg. Please check out autosport.com for all the latest news from F1 and the world of motorsport. And try our plus subscriber area where, for a small fee, you can read the world's best motorsport journalists. Check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly, and Motorsport News. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. And for those of you who like your autosport in print, Autosport Magazine is out every Thursday. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. American Giant is the leading manufacturer of American-made clothing. When you choose American Giant, you are saying yes to clothes made under the highest standards, ones that support sustainable jobs, living wages, safe working conditions, and use high-quality materials. Plus, they have a full range of timeless, durable basics for men and women. Wear your values in the new year. Get 20% off with code NY23 at American-Giant.com. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Code NY23. Sports Social Podcast Network.
It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.